0: I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, this morning. Ezekiel, chapter 38. If you would please stand with me as we begin reading. Ezekiel chapter thirty eight, beginning in verse one. This is the message that came to me from the Lord, Son of Man, turn and face Gog of the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord Gog I am your enemy. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws to lead you out with your whole army, your horses and charioteers and full army and a great horde armed with shields and swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya will join you too with all their weapons. Gomer and all its allies will also join you, along with the armies of Beth Tochomar from the distant north and many others. Get ready, be prepared. Keep all the armies around you mobilized and take command of them. A long time from now, you will be called into action. In the distant future, you will swoop down on the land of Israel, which will be enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. You and all your allies, a vast and awesome army, will roll down on them like a storm and will cover the land like a cloud. This is what the sovereign Lord says. At that time, evil thoughts will come to your mind and you will devise a wicked scheme. You will say, Israel is an unprotected land filled with unwalled villages. I will march against her and destroy those people who live in such confidence. I will go to those formerly desolate cities that are now filled with people who have returned from exile in many nations. I will capture vast amounts of plunder, for the people are rich with livestock. And other possessions now. They think the whole world revolves around them. But Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish will ask Do you really think the armies you have gathered can rob them of silver and gold? Do you think you can drive away their livestock and seize their goods and carry off their plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. When my people are living in peace in their land, then you will rouse yourself. You will come from your homeland in the distant north with your vast cavalry and your mighty army, and you will attack my people Israel, covering their land like a cloud. At that time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches, and my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog. Then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and God, we lift up um, the reading of your word. God, we pray that as we listen to the word that you delivered through Ezekiel, God, that we would be reminded that you're in control. No matter how dark things may appear, it's well. We know that we can count on you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to chapter 38 and 39 in the book of Ezekiel, we come to a section that is all about Gog and Magog. It's very interesting. I kind of like the name there, Gog from Magog. It's like, hi, I'm Tim, and I'm from Timland. You know, it's kind of convenient. Well, here's Gog from Magog, and um, he is puffed up. He is really the epitome of all those who would come against God and his people, you see, in Ezekiel, there are several stages and, and areas. and the first 25 chapters of Ezekiel are, are all basically Ezekiel prophesying against Israel, that you guys, something bad's going to happen. There's already been, you've already been conquered, but you haven't been completely destroyed and you keep living the way you're living, you fail to follow me. You're still being unjust, you're still following idols, you're still living in in violence and greed. And over and over he he prophesies against them in the first 24 chapters of Ezekiel. Then chapters 25 to 32, the question arises, well, what about other nations? They haven't lived right, they haven't done right. There may be not, might not be God's special and holy nation, but is there any accountability for them? And, and he lays out in those chapters, 24 to 32, he prophesies against Egypt and the Pharaoh and, and all the other pagan nations that they're going to get what's coming to them as well. And then in chapter 33, uh, something happens that changes the course of the book, and that is a messenger comes... From Jerusalem to tell Ezekiel, Jerusalem has fallen. All of this stuff that you prophesied and that you predicted, it has now come completely true, and Jerusalem is pretty much wiped out, and all the people exiled and spread out all over the world. At that point, as this tragedy finally occurs, Ezekiel begins moving his message toward the future. No reason to to keep railing at them for their sin and what's going to happen because it's happened. The desolation has occurred. And so he begins to talk about the future and how Israel is going to be restored. And so that kind of culminated in chapter 37 as we looked at last week, the Valley of the Dry Bones. How God was going to bring new life. To Israel. But there's a question. What about all those pagan nations? What about all those who are evil that would come against God and His people? And so that's addressed in these two chapters, 38 and 39, in the story of Gog from Magog. The Bible tells us if you, we didn't want to take the time to read all of it, but basically, Gog who is puffed up, who is proud, who thinks nothing of God's people, he decides that he's going to invade. He's going to take over the land of Israel. And he's going to do it at a time, the Bible says, in a far distant future in which all of the people of Israel, every person of Jewish descent, they have all come back and they are settled in peace in the land of Israel. And God has returned them, and he has restored them. And what looks like peace and beauty to them, to Gog, looks like an opportunity to plunder and to pillage. But he's not going to do this just by himself. He decides that he's going to get every other person involved that he can. Now, a lot of the stuff that you'll hear, if you ever hear this preached, it's very prophecy-oriented, and it's kind of one of those where the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand, and, and let's figure out what's going on right now and who this is, and so a lot of times, if you hear this preached, the one about from the far north, people are going to say, oh, that's Russia, that's Russia, they're the ones from the far north, they're the, they're the bad guys, and they're the ones that are going to be bad, and if you really look into all the scholarship of that, you cannot definitively make that argument that they're the ones from the north. But even if Russia was the ones from the north, that's not the point. Because there are seven nations that are all listed as coming against Israel. You see this number seven over and over again. It's, of course, a symbolic number, very symbolic number in the Bible. And so, as they come against him, against the nation of Israel. They come, if you were to look at all these weird places, you know, some of them we kind of know, and some more modern translations translate to some more modern places, you know, Persia and, and Ethiopia and Libya. But if you were to look at all these places on a map, you would see the point is not just about whoever came from up north, but they are geographically surrounding They're from the north, the south, the east, and the west. The idea is that all of the evil peoples of the earth are coming together. All of the forces of evil are coming together against God's people. And it looks like easy prey. It looks like, hey, everything's there for the taking. But when you read on, you find that, of course, that's not the case. God tells us that there is a, there's going to be a great feast with all sorts of beasts. If you read on into chapter 38, the rest of 38 and 39, there's a, a beast feast, you might say. This great feast, and, and all sorts of wild animals are going to be there. But there's a little something tricky about this feast. The feast is not for humankind. The feast is for the beasts, Because God says that the armies of God are going to be destroyed. They're going to be slaughtered. And they and their horses and everything with them will
1: be spread out over the
0: land. And God gives an invitation through Ezekiel. He says, invite all the beasts. Invite all the birds. All the buzzards. All of those scavengers. Because they're going to have a great feast as this force comes against Israel. And God goes into very descriptive language here. Again, it's, it's one of those things, if you try to make a chart, you know, like some folks are prone to do, and figure it all out literally, you're going to have a difficult time with that, because the idea is in the imagery, because it talks about God sending fire and brimstone on these people, and talks about them, earthquakes taking them, and, and, and all sorts of different ways they are slain, and... and uh, You're like, wait a minute, I thought they were already dead by the brimstone. Well, here's an earthquake to get them. And and there's thing after thing after thing. But the picture is, again, it's all very symbolic of there is complete devastation and destruction coming upon those who come against the Lord. He talks about a traveling or itinerant band of morticians, Now, this is kind of interesting, right? Most morticians, they work for a funeral home. They stay in one place, and, and, you know, people come to them. But it's going to be so bad, they've got to cleanse the land, that there's going to be two sets of traveling morticians. One of the sets goes out, and they mark all the places where all the bodies are covering everywhere in the land of Israel. And then the other group comes behind them and picks up these bodies and disposes of them. Because so great is the devastation of all of these armies coming against. And by the way, again, there's very symbolic language used. It talks about there being seven months just to find all these bodies and seven years for all of it to get cleaned up. What do we learn from this very interesting story? Well, Gog is really the personification of all of the evil folks out there. It is interesting that throughout history, people uh, have identified Gog as different leaders coming up. Back even starting three or 400 years after Christ, people would start saying, oh, well, it's, it's, uh, it's the Visigoths or it's the Mongols or it's Genghis Khan, or, you know, whoever, whoever the world leader that seemed really evil at the time. And you really can't imagine people like that all the way through Hitler or others. Gog personifies all those who raise themselves up and all those who say I will destroy. I will overcome God's people. Gog thinks that he will fatten himself on the people of Israel. But instead it's going to be the wildlife that's going to feast and be fattened the very end of chapter uh, 39 chapter 39 beginning in verse 25 it says this so now this is what the sovereign lord says i will end the captivity of my people i will have israel mercy on all israel for i jealously guard my holy reputation They will accept responsibility for their past shame and unfaithfulness after they come home to live in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. When I bring them home from their lands of their enemies, I will display my holiness among them for all the nations to see. Then my people will know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them away to exile and brought them home again. I will leave none of my people behind. And I will never again turn my face from them. For I will pour out my spirit upon the people of Israel. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So for the people of Israel, the message was, you've gone through a terrible fate. You've gone through exile to Babylon. You've been spread out. Your people have been decimated. Those who have lived have suffered. But yet there is hope. God says there's going to come a day when finally you'll accept responsibility for your actions. Finally, the shame of your sin will be put behind you, not because you, you tried to explain it all away or blame someone else, but finally you accepted responsibility and you said, God, we did what was wrong. We acknowledged we sinned. And God says, I'll restore you. I'll restore you and I'll bring you back. It is a message of hope for the people of Israel and it's a message of hope for us today that no matter what is coming against us, even the most powerful coalitions of nations and armies cannot go against what God has planned for your life. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, God, we come to you and... God, we thank you that you are the ultimate overcomer. God, we thank you that you have all things in your hands. All things are under your control. And God, no matter how hard the odds may seem against us, Lord, that you are with us. I pray for each person in this room who is struggling with a loss, with a diagnosis, with a pain or a difficulty. Father, may they hope in you and understand that, God, you are with them and you are in control. Lord, we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we are at our hymn of invitation, it's your opportunity to come to the Lord and to respond to him and any decisions that he's placed on your heart, whether they be public or private, I want to invite you to take your hymnal and turn to number 208, Alas and did my Savior bleed. Would you stand as we sing?